0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rotman Podcast, powered by the Entertainment and Media Association. We are your co-hosts, Aaron Sutsumoto
1: And Ben Castle.
0: Welcoming to the show, our new Rotman Podcast hosts for season three, Vaishnavi Gupta and Philip Yevtovich.
1: Philip and Vaishnavi are second year Rotman students in the morning and evening MBA program here on campus. Vaishnavi is also working full-time as the Director of Consumer Development at Leap Tools in Toronto, an augmented reality visualization platform. Philip is also juggling school with a full-time career as senior manager of analytics and strategy of the men's high-performance program at Canada Basketball during his Rotman program. Together, they share a love for podcasts and media, as well as entrepreneurship. They will take our podcast in a new direction, exploring the multiplicity of clubs, Rotman festivities, and programs next year. Let's kick it off with a couple of host-directed questions. Drumroll, please what is your favorite podcast right now and why and we'll start with philip
2: great so the one that i'm listening to right now ben is called death at the wing hosted by adam mckay who you might know from legendary comedies such as anchorman Step Brothers, but also the big short and some others so it looks at the nba and the political climate in the 1980s and how the rapid increase in wealth and drug addiction you know persecution and racism in reagan's america led to several promising young stars losing their lives so learning a lot about that period it's 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 been uh, very, very interesting, and I definitely recommend it to anyone that has an interest in basketball and just society and politics in general. Very interesting. Um, Mishnabi?
3: I'd have to say the one I listen to the most is the 20-Minute VC the host invites professionals from the VC and startup world to share their experiences in the field. I think it's great for anyone to listen to, even if you aren't interested in the venture capital world, because the guests often talk about their formulas for success, um, how they got past their failures in life. So it's extremely inspiring. And I think it's also good looking glass into the future of new and emerging technologies. That sounds super cool. Thank you both for
0: those recommendations my next question for you is what goals do you have for the remaining part of your Rotman experience? I guess we can start with Vaishnavi this time.
3: So I initially applied to Rotman because I was put in a really unique position. I was hired as the first employee at a hyper fast growing startup. And with my educational background being in science, I found it really tough to grow along with the company's needs. So kind of my main goal here is to develop a basic understanding of the business world. And through the rest of my time here, I'm hoping I can build upon my arsenal of skills needed to run a business successfully sometime in the near future.
0: Amazing. And Phil?
2: Yeah. So similar to Vaishnavi, I, I came in, my background uh, undergrad was in arts and I really wanted to take courses in management and really get skills and experience there. But honestly, even in this virtual environment over the last couple of months, just all of the people that we've met in our cohort, which has been so supportive and engaging, I just like to learn uh, and or, sorry, meet as many people in, in different industries over the next couple of years and, and grow the network and really engage and connect with as many people as possible.
1: So this next question um, you know, it is primarily directed towards uh, Phil, but um, it maybe could be for both of you. How can I sink a three-pointer every time? And I mean every time.
2: So Veshanavi, we'll go to you for your feedback on this one in a sec. But honestly, Ben, it's, it's not that hard. Give or take about 10,000 hours. Um, so as soon as Mr. Ford opens up the outdoor courts, uh, I'll meet you out there and we'll get started <laughs> if that works with you. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs>
3: I think I was going to say, close your eyes and pray for the best. So I think Phil's answer <laughs> is a
0: little
1: better. <laughs> well, maybe that works too.
0: That sounds like my, yeah, that sounds like my method there. And I think this one might primarily be for Vaishnavi. but what, what does the future of augmented reality look like in the retail space?
3: Yeah, definitely. So I think that's a great question, especially because of the pandemic that we're in right now. Online shopping was already really big before COVID, but I think the pandemic accelerated its digitization. Since people couldn't shop in person for so long, companies have started investing in smart ways to easily and confidently shop from home. I think that trend is going to continue. Maybe someday down the line, we'll be test driving cars from the comfort of our own home before ordering them on Amazon for next day delivery. Ooh. So that's what I think is going to happen.
1: Very nice. And, and so where, what do you think is the, the future in terms of actual like um, hardware? Like, Do you think that the beyond just like you know, cellular augmented realities. Is is there any particular platform that you think is, uh, you know, going to be most successful in the marketplace in the next couple of years?
3: I am going to plug my own company here. <laughs> so, we work, in the, we work in the home decor industry. And I think any company that is focused on softwares that are easily available rather than VR, where you need to buy headsets and things like that, are probably going to be booming.
1: So, I guess, uh, do, do you see like the HoloLens as being, uh, you know, sort of like an alternative to all that? Or um, do you think that pretty much everyone's going to be accessing this through their cellular device?
3: I think probably through their cellular devices, I think it would be pretty cool to be using things like the HoloLens, but I think we are maybe at least 50 years away from that being the norm.
1: 50 years. Wow. That's
3: uh, really far. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, that's surprising. I, I would have you know, thought maybe a little bit more optimism coming from someone in the in the market, but that's, that's interesting. Well, uh, changing gears here a little bit, I want to bring it back to our podcast here. Starting with Vishnavi, what is season three going to look like?
3: So Phil and I have some big plans for season three, and unlike you, Ben and Aaron, we don't have a lot of experience, so we're excited to see what we accomplish as well. Some of the things that we really want to focus on this year is highlighting and profiling some amazing Rotman alum from across different verticals, getting inside scoop from prospective students, and shedding light on different communities present inside Rotman
2: yeah just to jump in on that really quickly like Vaishnavi said we're, we're really excited about this and a new experience for both of us and honestly just to have fun first time that we're, ex- we're doing this and to see what we're able to accomplish we also are looking to get closer to the students and hear from others so uh, we'll be starting a ramen podcast social media account and, and instagram and looking to engage with with the community directly over the next year
1: that's awesome! Yeah, I'd love to hear that. Um, you know, we'd love to to see this grow, and obviously get get more audience—the ultimate goal. <laughs> I think, Aaron, you had one more question for us.
0: Yeah, one last question, and then we'll start with Phil. Any big takeaways or learnings from your first year at Rotman?
2: Balancing of time and and work and and planning, I think uh, coming in, you know, we I knew that it was going to be a challenge in terms of managing the the work side during the day and the the school in the evenings and weekends. But being as organized as possible and planning it out, and like I mentioned, the cohort's so engaging and and supportive. Don't try and do everything yourself, but talk to classmates and professors and advisors, and that's really been uh, what's helped me over the last couple of months.
0: Great advice, And Vaishnavi?
3: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with Phil. To add on to that, I think school is great. Courses are great. We're learning lots. But one of the biggest things that I've learned is your network is really the thing that's going to get you the most opportunities. And Rotman has some of the most amazing students, amazing professors, and amazing alums out there. So don't be afraid to reach out. No one is going to say no, especially right now when we're all stuck at home. They, everybody just wants someone to talk to, so it's a lot easier to get someone on a phone call.
0: Absolutely fantastic advice. Thank you both. And as a quick final note, as we're wrapping up this segment, I just wanted to personally say it's been such a blast and a true honor to be part of this podcast. And I wanted to give a big thanks to my co-host, Ben, all of the guests that we've had on the podcast and to Rotman for letting me and, and us host the podcast. So thank you guys very much.
1: Yeah, it's been a really amazing pleasure to, you know, be able to do this this year and, you know, pursue my passion while going to school and just get to talk to so many interesting people along the way and get some experience doing something that, you know, most people find uh, really interesting. So it's been a really amazing journey and, um, you know, I've learned a lot and uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to tune in next year, which brings me to our next segment. I don't know if you all can hear that, but. (laughs) (laughs) All right. There you have it, folks. The Rotman podcast has officially passed the Olympic torch to Philip and Vaishnavi for another exciting year of podcasting. Next, let's learn some more about the podcasting business from my friend and Rotman grad, Mike Viner. That was an elephant. Yeah. Okay.
2: We are very honored today to welcome Mike Viner to the Rotman Podcast. Mike is the Director of Digital Audio Advertising at Rogers Media and a recent graduate of Rotman's MBA program. Having transitioned from national radio sales, he now works to monetize digital audio streaming and podcasting at Rogers using the skills he learned here at Rotman. He also has a history of working in advertising sales with other media companies such as Pelmorix Media and CBS. Thanks for being on the Rotman Podcast, Mike. It's an honor to have you on the show.
4: Thank you Phil, for having me, and thank you for calling me a recent grad, even though that is stretching the truth. But I'm happy to feel younger. It makes me feel like we were in class together. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we're basically all classmates at this point.
4: Yeah, exactly, even though I predate the new construction.
0: <laughs> so, in our little roundtable, I'll have the first question here. It looks like you've built your career off of broadcast and radio advertising from pretty early on. So, what is it? What was it about? the media industry that interested you and how did you first get your start?
4: Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I grew up around media. My dad was in sort of the media business, you know, you you grow up around an industry and you sort of are, you know, uh, surrounded by it. And it was always a fascinating industry to me. It was, and it remains so it's like, uh, you know, the product is kind of cool and the people are cool. It's an interesting, exciting place to work. So I think that's sort of how I got my start there. And I started out in sales, you know, in sort of a traditional sales role. And I just loved it. I don't know that I would have pursued sales as a, as a passion initially, but it was something that I, you know, I just loved every aspect of it. There was sort of a bit of something for, for everybody. It had elements of sort of, you know, math that were appealing to me and strategy, but also relationship building. So I think, that sort of enjoyment of that first role really sort of solidified my career path in media.
1: That's cool. I didn't know about your uh, family tie-in there, but that certainly explains it too. So I guess I wanted to know the follow-up on that. Uh, why did you decide to pursue your MBA after working seven years in the Canadian you know, broadcast sale market? And you know, were you aware of any opportunities at Rotman at the time to build your career in media at all? It's
4: interesting because I was thinking about you know, my time at Rotman, and I got into my MBA because I thought, you know, although I was in this really, I enjoyed this job quite a bit, there was people at my company, it was a really flat company, and there were people at the company that had been there for their entire career, sort of doing that role, and it was a good job, there was nothing wrong with doing that, but I sort of felt like there was a part of me that I wanted to develop that I hadn't developed yet. Like there was a business acumen that I wanted to develop that I wasn't going to be able to get, even if I progressed at that company, I was just sort of a lack of exposure to, to, you know, just a wider understanding of business. So I was always intimidated about doing my GMAT and applying for MBA. Cause I was like, Oh God, I'm not going to get in. These people are going to be a lot smarter than me. That part was true, but I did get in and you know i think it was really just to sort of expand my horizons and sort of see what what else is out there and you know as a as a fast track to hopefully get some management experience and progress my career i think probably similar reasons to a lot of people and it was it was great it really delivered on a lot of those things
1: yeah. Yeah, ramen does have a lot of really in- amazingly intelligent people. Um, it can be quite intimidating at first, but, you know, you realize that, you know, ultimately everyone was picked to be there for a reason. And, you know, you do you do belong, even if you think you don't. The imposter syndrome is what they call it.
4: Yeah, yeah, no, that runs rampant everywhere. And, and it's true. Like there were some people in my class, in my cohort that were literally to this day continue to be some some of the smartest people. And there were people that were like me that were good at different things. It, it was a really wider cross-section of people than I was expecting, which was you know, hugely reassuring when I got there. And that sort of imposter syndrome, which was brutal at first, as it is for a lot of people, sort of dissipates over time when you realize like, well, no, these are just a lot of smart, intelligent people who I can have really interesting you know learning experiences with. So yeah, it was it was great.
3: Well, it it seems like it paid off. <laughs> I mean, today your current role as Director of Digital Audio Advertising. What does that role really entail? Are there any new exciting projects that you're working on that you can share with us today?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting role. So I was, you know, I've been a, effectively a sales leader for the last seven years of my career and this is really a different role for me because it's sort of creating a product from scratch like we launched this business and digital audio advertising at Rogers Sports and Media comprises podcast advertising which is a business that we're really still in the process of building both the content side and the monetization side and you you know, we have 56 radio stations throughout Canada and people are starting to listen to those radio stations through connected devices, like smart speakers and that sort of thing. So my job really is to take those two products to market and work with our sales teams to really understand the capabilities and make sure that we're actually selling these products as we create them. So it's a really interesting place to be. And yeah, there's tons of exciting things on the horizon. We're Forever launching new partnerships, new shows on our frequency podcast network and our sports net podcast network, and there's lots of new products coming out. Like the fact that these are delivered digitally as opposed to a broadcast signal, which is how radio is done, allows us to do a lot of really interesting things. Like we're starting to think about interactive ad units where you can actually speak to an advertisement and and engage with that. Which is interesting enough from a consumer perspective, but it's really interesting for an advertiser who gets some feedback on how have people responded from a sentiment analysis to your messaging. Can we tweak it? Can we optimize it? Can we make it more effective for you? And a lot of those tools are new to a traditional broadcaster in many ways. and it's really cool to be on the sort of leading edge of that.
2: That's that's interesting, Mike. And if I reluctantly admit, I sometimes skip over those ads in the podcast. Just click that fifteen seconds a little bit. But if they're interactive, I mean, <laughs> that's 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 pretty cool. Just taking a, a step back, and you know, you've been in media and broadcast advertising since the early two thousands. How has the landscape changed over over the years?
4: Yeah, massively. I've sort of touched on it a bit before, but you know, I think the you know when I got into radio advertising, it was two thousand three, and The internet obviously existed, but digital advertising was like an ugly cousin to sort of broadcast advertising. And so, you know, in that time, that has completely shifted. You know, digital advertising now is bigger than TV, much less radio. And so it's just become so much more sophisticated in, you know, how advertisements can be targeted to users, how user data is used in campaign optimization, entire industries have been invented in the last 20 years, including the podcast industry that I now work in. I mean, it's such a change. It's hard to sort of describe. We went from, you know, a static traditional broadcast industry that consisted of, you know, TV and radio and, you know, satellite radio kind of came in and obviously cable TV through the eighties, but there was no major shift. And then it's all been turned on its head where now you know, as a traditional broadcaster, we've had to reinvent our business to sort of compete with these digital players that we were like, "Wow, oh, you know, who cares about Yahoo? And, and it's all become far more transparent. We have to be, we're far more accountable with how our ads perform and what business outcomes those uh, advertisements have. And it's become quite a bit more sophisticated in that time. It's been really interesting to to be on both sides of it.
0: That is really interesting. And you, you did touch on a lot of maybe the strategic benefits that advertisers might like about it. How has that shifted in terms of maybe the skill set that you have to bring to your work? Or maybe is there something that surprises you about what you're doing now that you might not have imagined
4: back in the day? Yeah, I mean, all of it. Like, it, it, it's it's really interesting. The jobs become more technical. And I'm I'm not a technical person, but you know, being able to understand data and how data can be used and how, like, we we spend a lot of time internally thinking about our customers and how we can target them better and how we can work with our partners to figure out, you know, what's effective advertising and what's not. So there's there's way more data work that goes on. And, you know, I, I think about Rotman all the time where, you know, it's statistics, obviously, and... It was a savagely difficult course.
1: (laughs) That hasn't changed. (laughs) No, good.
4: Yeah. We're
2: all smiling. (laughs) It
1: it was so it was
4: so hard. And I don't know who teaches it now. And I'm sure I'm not sure if he's there. He was so smart and it was so hard. But it's one of the most useful things that we I I think about standard deviation and normal. I'm now gonna blank on all these terms, but like normal populations and way more than I ever would have thought that I would have ever in my career. So again, it's sort of go back to it being far more sophisticated than it used to be. It used to be like, well, you go out and buy drinks and then like mm, get the deal. And it's, it's now much more data driven.
1: Yeah. That that's definitely true for a lot of industries, but you know, shout out to professor Morthy. He's the one who's teaching it now. Okay.
4: <laughs> he wasn't teaching. I don't think he was a teacher when I was there. He was a uh, uh, it was a he was so smart, this prof. It was impossible to keep up with him.
1: well, um along the same lines, you know I understand that uh, you know obviously statistics is one valuable skill that you learned at Rotman. Were there any others that you think are um, directly applicable to students who are looking to break into the media industry? You know, what advice would you have for them, not just in terms of you know the skills that they should possess while they're at Rotman, but um, just in general to break into the industry?
4: Yeah, you know, I th- I think you know an MBA is so useful, and Rotman's so good at sort of that general comfort with sort of all things business. Like, I don't know about you, but I I had sort of no familiarity with some things that, before going into Rotman, and now like I'm not an accountant, but I'm I'm more than comfortable sort of with accounting terms and understanding you know why revenue has to be recognized the way it's re- recognized. Like, I have a basis of foundational knowledge of that stuff, which is, and and that's true of a lot of different subjects. Strategy, it's certainly statistics that I have no business having any even understanding of it, but I have this sort of foundational knowledge. So I find rather than any one particular skill, it's that ability to be adaptable and sort of function in, in different ways that's been hugely helpful for me, especially in like a sales role or a sort of product role that I'm in now where you have a lot of different stakeholders and the conversations are very dynamic. There's, you, Depending on who you're talking to, your level of expertise needs to change. And I think I credit Rotman with that ability to sort of have that, again, foundational knowledge to, to move around. And in, in terms of skills to get into media, I don't think there's anything particular to media except maybe sort of a, a natural fascination with media or, you know, an, a general interest in in what's happening in the market. The rest are probably skills that are valuable everywhere. It's sort of openness to learning, a natural curiosity. A, you know, I, I think uh, increasingly in my career, the ability to sort of prioritize and work smart as opposed to just hard work that I would say in the last couple of years, that's been my biggest, takeaway is look, anybody can put in 20 hour days, but that's not sustainable. So what is sustainable? What's going to make you an effective kids? What's going to make you an effective parent, but also an effective employee and being able to prioritize those things and say no when you have to say no and pick the things that are going to have the most impact on your business. Those are the skills that I really think are important in any business but for sure in the media as well, especially media is going through a transformation. So you have to be ready to sort of go through a transformation. It's uh, ups ups and downs as we we go through, (coughs) super fun.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree with your Rotman giving us a acumen for business to just be able to hold these conversations. With my background in science, I often find myself at bars trying to understand why people are talking about the debt equity ratio around me. But now I can definitely hold those conversations on my own. So,
4: (laughs) You know, even I remember prior to going into my MBA, even like reading the newspaper and, you know, yield curves or or interest rates and how that affects everything else. And it's like, you don't really realize what you pick up over the course of your two years or four years, depending on what you're doing until after the fact. And you're like, I don't, think I was familiar with this or like, this wouldn't have made sense to me. And again, I'm far from an expert in any of this. I wouldn't want to write an exam again, <laughs> but, but I get it. I understand the general principles and it's enough to usually escape by uh, without getting called out.
3: It's like a key to a, a completely new world that I didn't understand before. So, <laughs> so what are your favorite podcasts right now? What are you listening to today?
4: Uh, well. Obviously, Frequency Podcast Network are, you know, are my favorite shows. We have the Big Story, which is our uh, sort of daily news show, which I, I uh, obviously promote because it's the show I sell. But I legitimately, I've always felt it was a really well-executed podcast, and that's the Big Story, hosted by Jordan Heath Rawlings. So I, I obviously listen to our podcast frequently. I don't know. Podcasting is such a funny space because there's some podcasts I listen to. They're so weird that I'm like, I don't know, like, you know, that are about health or running. I run, so I listen to this one called Run to the Top. Like, me and four other people, I'm sure, listen to it. You know, there was a show on Ancient Aliens, which is that ridiculous show on A and E, and it's a, it's a terrible TV show, and I don't watch it. But these guys, I don't even know how I stumbled across it, but these guys are so funny that I sort of couldn't stop listening to it. So I listen to a wide range of shows. I'm always sort of trying to figure out who's advertising, you know, what Canadian brands are advertising and how do I sort of steal that? So I, I do try to listen to as many as possible to sort of see what I can catch, but some just guilty pleasures too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, the Ancient Aliens uh, tangent there. So Vice Media recently produced a program about people just watching Ancient Aliens, and I was like, "Really? Like, is this is this really what the future of media has become? Uh, you know, with with Action broadson? But but you know. I had no idea what Ancient Aliens was until I, I was just skipping through Vice Media and saw this and was like, wow. So it's it, it doesn't surprise me that there's also a podcast on this phenomenon. But man, it just makes you wonder what is it about ancient aliens? Why are there so many programs, not just about the concept itself, but around this this weird television show? It's it's absolutely bizarre. Yeah. yeah. It
4: is a weird it is a weird television show. I think that's it. Like yeah. I think it's yeah odd content and then the characters on it are especially strange. So I think it's the perfect mixture of like aliens and strange people that is just too compelling to put down.
2: I have to continue this tangent, sorry, Mike, real quick, it, a little bit different, but what's with their obsession as a, as a human species with true crime in podcasts? I don't know, is there, every time I go through a chart, it's like true crime is like one through 10. I, I, I don't listen to them personally, but do you know, like, what is it? <laughs> I don't
4: know. It's that's a really good question because you're right. It is true crime is clearly the, you know, it started with serial. That was sort of the first big hit in podcasting. Obviously, people are find the content compelling. I'm not a big true crime listener either. Although we, my wife and I, did just listen to Dirty John, which was an LA Times, and that was an interesting podcast too because it was a started as a newspaper. It was a big collaboration between, you know, the LA Times, and and uh, it, it was really good. I mean, they're really compelling stories, and I guess that's what's interesting about them. And I think people saw the success of Serial and realized that there was a genre there. But I, yeah, no, I I don't think it would have happened had Serial not been so successful, but...
2: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, <laughs> they're crazy stories. They're crazy stories. Fair enough. I did listen to the first serial, and it it was engaging. It was it was crazy for sure. So one other thing that we're looking to do this year, Ocean Avenue Night with the podcast, is shed light on different communities. President's Side, Rotman, highlight clubs. Were there any that that you remember looking back uh, at Rotman, Any clubs that you participated in that you specifically enjoyed, or case competitions, perhaps that uh, that stay with you to this day?
4: Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's hard. Now I can't I can't really remember all the things I did back then. But yeah, it all stays with me. Like the case competitions, I remember once, and I don't think it was a club. I think it was part of a course. We had to do, I think it was an operations course, and we had to run like a simulation overnight. And we had to create a business and run a simulation over, like it was over a weekend or something like that. And we were all we were all, I mean, everybody was always there late, but we were all there sort of overnight and having to figure out like, do we go to sleep while our business is running overnight? Or do this, should somebody be on top of it to make sure that like the whole thing doesn't blow up? And it was those things like those outside of coursework or those team things where it's like, this is so weird, it's like 1130 and I'm still here and I'm, you know, trying to watch this thing. that That's what really sticks with me is that sort of, kind of teamwork based stuff where you're at the 11th hour and it was exciting and tiring and all those sorts of things. That's what sticks out for me at, from my MBA for sure. was just that like team thing in terms of specific clubs. Like, I don't know. I was just, yeah.
2: yeah, it was, it's all a blur. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, hoping that, you know, we, we can maybe get into person and in that building soon. So I think, I don't know about you, but I've been in there about once in my life or twice. So hoping we can get back in at some point and experience that. Thanks Mike for sharing it.
3: I've never been in there. I can see it from my window and that's about it.
4: <laughs> that's too bad. I spent, so I graduated in 2012 and I spent the last year of my MBA listening to the construction of the brand new building. And I think it opened sort of six months after we left so it was this incredible new building that we got to listen to being built i it's too bad this pandemic is ongoing but at least you
0: get to see the building yeah hopefully you know you two since you have two more years left if this next year doesn't work out you'll have a bonus just in case but hopefully that doesn't happen but
1: yeah i kind of wish we had another year left now that i think about it got cheated out of that second year of the nba
0: Uh. Let's not go crazy here. Yeah,
1: that
4: That is not a sentiment I ever had. I mean, I loved it. I found it, especially first year. I found first year really sort of, I really jumped in and did everything, but it was almost seven days a week for the whole time. I found it really a sprint and a marathon at the same time. So yeah, I was, I loved the experience. I've never, never for a second have regretted it. And it was very challenging at times.
0: Absolutely agree. So to bring it all back a little bit closer, where do you see the future of digital audio going?
4: Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, we're, we're at a very early stage of digital audio advertising. So I think, you know, podcasts are growing exponentially. They're still tiny uh, relative to television and particularly in Canada it's still a really small business. So I think there's tons of room to grow and there's tons of room for marketers to figure out how to get into podcasts at scale, because it's hard to find a podcast that reaches a lot of people, which is what ultimately what marketers are trying to do usually. So I think there's a lot of work to be done on the podcast side and then sort of the streaming audio and like the Spotify space and the, you know, the space that I come from, which is sort of digital radio, you know, I think the radio industry is undergoing a transformation, and the radio industry is a huge industry in Canada, but it's being completely flipped on its head. And, you know, I think we're going to have to figure out a way to bring the benefits of radio into digital because that's where things are going. So, yeah, I see podcasts continue. I see more and more money being spent against podcasts. You know, you see Spotify buying up content for podcasts. So they bought Joe Rogan, they bought Dak Shepard. I think that's going to continue. I think that's going to change the market. And I think I predict that sort of digital radio stations are going to come that have live local content, but aren't delivered over an AMFM transmitter. And I think that's going to be a really interesting change that we see in the next three to five years once people figure out the business models for it. So yeah, it is everything's changing. It's a really interesting time.
1: And oftentimes the last part to catch up is the business part of the equation in media for some reason, and every every other business that comes first, but for some reason in media that kind of comes last. And so uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how uh, all these changes impact advertisers and, you know, the business that you're in.
4: Absolutely. It's uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you get, I think a lot of the successful content creators, don't realize they're content creators until they're kind of successful and they've, you know, they're doing something they enjoy that resonates with a lot of people. And then all of a sudden they're reaching, you know, 32 million people on YouTube and advertisers want to advertise. And, you know, recreating that type of situation intentionally is hard. And we have to figure out a way to do it that still feels authentic. You know, whereas before we had an AM FM transmitter, whatever we put on there, you were gonna to listen to it because there's nothing else to listen to. So it's a very different market that we find ourselves. Those in. were the days. Those were the days. <laughs> yeah, I know. And you had some time in the good old days.
1: I guess this next question is a is a twofer. Um, now that you're you know making management decisions at Rogers, you know, can you tell us just how valuable an MBA is, you know, working at Rogers, not in terms of what your skill set is, but more in terms of hiring decisions? Like, are is, is Rogers looking for MBAs? If so, and what types of roles? And then secondly, how can Rotman better support students who are interested in media industry careers? From your time at Rotman, was there enough support, you think, for people who are interested in that industry? And if not, how could they uh, improve that?
4: Yeah, so the, so the first part is Rogers looking for MBAs, I, I think, always. I think, you know, more so it's, you know, people who, which I think MBAs are, you know, who are curious and lifelong learners and have demonstrated sort of that adaptability. And, you know, we talk about sort of corporate athletes that can sort of be put into different situations and be successful in those. Uh, I think that's a skill that's very much in demand at Rogers. And I think a lot of MBAs align to that. You know, we're we're building out a more, you know, a, a strategy team that I think is largely made up of MBAs. So I think as the business changes and as we weigh where the market's going, I think, you know, we need an understanding of what are the future monetization opportunities, where are things going, where are the trends going. And I think a lot of the people that are doing that work have, you know, either financial backgrounds or, and, you know, MBA degrees so for sure yeah i i don't know if things have changed at rotman from when i was there but i'm sure it hasn't in that it was more heavily focused in sort of finance and consulting when i was there
1: still true today i'd say to a large extent yeah yeah which is great so
4: so i don't know i mean i think i think it's partially on rotman to to do some work there i think you know it's probably as much on the industry too like I don't know that Rogers, or if we have one now, we haven't had one for a while. Like, I don't, Rogers didn't didn't engage with Rodman when I was there at all. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why Rogers wasn't part of the list of, come. you know, the banks would come in and talk to us about financial jobs. And Rogers Media didn't do that. And I think, you know, our president now is Jordan Banks. And I think that's one of his goals is like, how do we, how do we have a talent pipeline coming in all the time rather than, you know, people stumbling in or coming in from other careers like how are we bringing how are we bringing people into the media space who are, you know, smart people. So I think you'll be seeing more of that going forward and I think the honest truth is, you know, we as a business have to reach out to the schools and say, "Look, we, you know, we want to get in on the ground floor and we want to as as smart people are making career decisions, how do we make sure that Rogers sports and media is one of the paths they will consider, because there's tons of good reasons to, to work at Rogers. It's an awesome place to work. At. I, I just don't know that the exposure's there at that stage.
1: Yeah, and maybe part of that falls on Rotman to um, you know, reach out to more companies like Rogers and, and, and form those relationships. And I think that is a huge area that they could improve uh, having been through the program over the last two years. But is there anything else that you can see besides just forming new relationships that the university could do to maybe position itself to have a, like a wider breadth in terms of what you know, uh, students can achieve after they leave the program?
4: the only thing that sort of strikes me as you ask that question it was, there was only one course on sales management uh, when I was there and it was a second year course I don't know if they offered it anymore it was actually taught by a consultant who was at BCG and so the
1: practice they they do still have that course by the way do they, they do.
4: yeah yeah you know he, that was I can't recall the guy who taught it he was brilliant and sort of really practical in his knowledge about sales and and his point, and I think he was right, is that Rotman didn't spend a ton of time on sales, which is such an important part of every business. And, and I don't know if that directly responds to your question about sort of the media space, but I think that there's, certainly for me, the sales course was the most applicable course to the, the job I do today, where it's like pipeline management and like very specific sales management things. That was really interesting to me. But yeah, I could, could Rotman, you know, expand some of their coursework to include things around media or advertising. There's not a ton of coursework when I was there that talked about that stuff. I don't know if there's a huge amount of interest. I think if you go to Rotman, you're sort of inclined a certain way, maybe you're more inclined to be interested in finance and, and consulting. So yeah, I mean, certainly expanding the course load, expanding those relationships with media. I think, you know, doing what you are doing and, you know, creating your own versions of some of these different media is probably interesting for people to understand what's out there. I think these are all useful steps and sort of building that the breadth of what people can get into from Rotman.
3: Thank you again to Mike for being on the Rotman podcast. We appreciate you taking the time to chat with us.
4: Thank you very much for having me. Please cut out anything embarrassing I said. (laughs) (laughs)
3: And that's it for the episode. Thank you for listening to the Rotman podcast. Be sure to follow us at EMA underscore Rotman for updates on the latest in the club and all upcoming podcasts.